Hey guys, how you doing? Um, I hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday. Uh, thank you for joining us for this live service. Now, before we jump into the, the sermon for today, uh, I want us to be praying for the sermon, but before we pray for the sermon, I just want to f- uh, wrap up going over a few uh, announcements that we have for our church. Now, first of all, as we're trying to think about what it looks like being on mission uh, right now as a church, even though there is social isolation in place and uh, lock at home advice given, um, one of the ways that you can be on mission is to share this video with your friends. Uh, I've been told that if you if you not only share this video, but if you start um, a Watts party on Facebook, that it gets to even more individuals. So maybe you wanna do something like that, depending on what kind of device you're on. If you're watching this on the TV, obviously that's gonna be more difficult. But keep that in mind, you can, uh, you can be sharing this um, throughout. Uh, also, uh, like we've said previous weeks, even though this is different and, well, very different from what we're used to, uh, the financial responsibilities of the church have changed very little. I want to thank you guys for your faithfulness in, in giving towards the church. I am very thankful uh, to God for the fact that we have people in our church able and willing to give. And so I will keep praying that God would bless uh, our members, that we wouldn't feel the financial rep- uh basically financial implications of this disease as we've got a lot of people in the country losing their jobs right now. Um, If I remember correctly, yesterday the numbers were something in the range of 55,000 registered for unemployment benefits. So obviously I understand this is a difficult time for a lot of people in the country, but if you want to give, let me just put the bank information down here. Uh, There's the bank info, 0318. Hoverbok is 26. I think Hoverbok in English is Ledger. I've never used my online bank in in English. And then the bank account itself is 610-111. And then the Kenetella of the church is 610-111-0920. So if you want to give, you can give online. I'm going to keep that as a banner right there as I go through some of the other announcements. I want to announce that we have prayer meetings at 9 o'clock on Wednesday nights. So please join us there. Uh, it's been one of the highlights of my week being able to pray with the members of the church and actually just see the members of our church, even though we're not in person. It's just uh, a way to to see your faces and make me long even more and pray even more for for us to be able to have services and gather together to worship. Again, man, I cannot wait for that day when I stand here and I'm not standing in front of empty rows of seats, but rather I can look around and see my brothers and sisters worshiping with me and I can't wait for that day. So prayer meetings at uh, on Wednesdays at nine o'clock through Zoom. If you wanna join us for that, send a message to the church right now uh, and we can add you to our uh, Love Seven Fellowship chat that's open to anybody who wants to, uh, has been attending services or is following us or wants to be involved in the church. Uh, so you don't have to be a member to do that. Um, so send a message to the church if, you, if that's something you want to do. If you have prayer requests, I would love for you to post them in comments, uh, in the comments of this video. You can either post them on the Love Stone Fellowship page, uh, the chat on, on Messenger, or you can post them as a comment to this video. And uh, after the sermon is over, we will take some time to pray together for those prayer requests. Uh, Elliot, if, if you would be so kind as to uh, gather those prayer requests up in a bundle afterwards so I can read them clearly and, and we can pray for them. Um, then today is April 26th. Sorry, I've been butchering the date for this, uh, for this announcement for about three weeks. So today is April 26th. It's a Sunday. Today we're going to be having a members meeting on Zoom. It's a rather important members meeting. So if you are a member of the church, and let me just reiterate, we've got membership classes and we've got membership meetings. So this is a meeting for those who have already become members of the church. We have a meeting today at 1.30 p.m. We're going to be voting on 
rather big items today. And we're going to have the vote. We're not going to give the usual uh, five days for you to cast your vote. We're going to throw in the link for the online vote and ask you to vote before midnight. So if you want to be informed as to what we're voting on, I recommend that you join us uh, on Zoom at 1.30 p.m. where we can uh, propose to you uh, the different things we're voting on and also uh, that you can cast your vote. And then last announcement before we jump into the sermon is this. We have membership class. Now membership meeting was what I was talking about for those who have already become members. Membership class is for those who want to become members or not necessarily even that. If you are just watching this, you've been following our church services, you've been attending church services, you want to know more about what we believe as a church, why we believe it, uh, where we're shooting for, what our goal is as a church, then you can attend the meetings even just to get to know us a little better. That's next Sunday. It confuses me how Americans talk about this and that. Uh, This Sunday, I hope, is this Sunday that we're living right now. Next Sunday, meaning uh, May 3rd. Uh, So May 3rd. I'm going to skip the next or or this right now. Uh, So that's at 1.30 as well. So if you want to know more about our church, if you want to become a member and know what that means, which is basically we make a distinction between those who attend our church and those who make a commitment saying, this is going to be my faith family. These are going to be the people I'm responsible and these are going to be the people responsible for, and these are going to be the people responsible for me. I'm going to open up my life for them to be involved in my life. I'm going to confess my sins to them. I'm going to pray and hope for them to walk with me uh, through my journey with God. Um, And you're taking on the same responsibility to the rest of the members. If you want to know more about what membership means, you can attend next uh, May the 3rd. If you want to register for that, send a message to the Lofstermann Baptist Kirke Facebook page, or you can send me an email at gunnar.lofstermann.is. And so those are the announcements we have today. Now we're about to jump into the, the sermon. I would like for us to be uh, praying that we would be edified by it. Uh, by the way, if you could let me know that the sound is okay, if it's not peaking, if it's not blowing out, if, if I sound, you know, if, if I'm coming through clearly, I would love to, to actually know. So I'm not just hoping that it works for an hour uh, or that all of you are bothered. And let me take this banner off real quick. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we come before you different places, but we know... Uh, no matter how much distance is between us, no matter uh, how, uh, what our week was like, no matter, no matter how good it was, no matter how bad it was, we're here together reliant on your grace. We're asking you as families, as a faith family that has been unable to meet together for a while, that you would protect our brothers and sisters that you would give us a love for one another, a care for one another so that we would be in contact with one another, keeping each other accountable, loving on each other through this strange time. God, I I praise you this week as we even had one day out of this week where no new cases of this virus were found and we've seen a drop in active cases and getting uh, under 300 this week in the entire country. Man, we praise you for your grace. God, I I ask you to work in us as we study your word. May we not just know what the words on the page say. May we we, uh, run with the truths of your word. May we be encouraged by who you are and what you've done. And may we be rebuked if need be. God, as we look at ourselves and, and we look at your word and what your desire of us is as a church, as individuals, as families, God, may we be willing to be rebuked if we need to be rebuked, if we need to be changed. May we have open hearts for that change 
So God, be with us today as we study your word. Guide me to not speak my opinions because my opinions can vary in how great or really bad they are, but your word changes us. Your spirit transforms us. So God, as we dive into your word today, I ask, Holy Spirit, work in us, work through us. Guide my tongue to speak your truth so that we would be built up as a faith family. Ultimately, all for the glory of Jesus Christ, may we be found faithful disciples of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, and maybe if you're just here and you're skeptical, this is also, you're very welcome here. Uh, I was once very skeptical of this faith as well. Actually, pretty sure it was all, uh, well, it was all about nothing, uh, that it was all fake. So if you're here and you, you got questions and you're skeptical, I would actually love to be in touch with you. So you're very welcome to join us today. Um, my name is Gunnar Gunnarsson. I am uh, the elder and pastor here at this church. Now, uh, last week, Elliot, uh, he kicked us off for our sermon series through the book of Acts. We're going to be doing the book of Acts through four different this is not four, this is three, through four different parts. Uh, we're going to be dividing it up so that we're going to be taking a break, so we're not going to do the whole book at once. Um, but he started us out last week with Acts 1, 1 through 11, and we're going to be calling this series, We Are Witnesses. Um, this is nothing creative. Many churches have called their sermon series through the book of Acts, We Are Witnesses. Uh, so we're not taking any credit for that, but I really love that title for a few different reasons. So today, I will actually be dealing with the same text that Elliot was dealing with uh, last week. If you remember last week, he was preaching and he, he focused on this witnesses part. What does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean when we witness to others? And he, he really spent a lot of time going through the fact that we are called to a life of repentance. We are, when we are calling others to come and follow Christ, we are calling them to live a life of repentance. That's something that's not talked about enough, I think, in, in sort of uh, watered-down Christianity that we, you know, that's so popular in today's day and age where, yes, follow Jesus, get all the benefits, but nothing is going to come at a cost to you. Uh, but really, when we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, live a life of repentance and follow him. But there's a lot in the text of Acts 1, 1 through 11, so I want to do that text over again because also I think it lays a foundation for the rest of the series that we're about to go through. So the book of Acts, I don't know about you, but in English, uh, in Icelandic, the book of Acts is called Postelasan, which makes more sense, the, the saga of the apostles. Um, but uh, the book of Acts in English is always kind of that name I, I never really understood. It's a book that uh, follows the apostles and the work of the Holy Spirit in the apostles and through the apostles over about a 30-year time span. It, it goes all the way up to between 60 and 63 AD, right before the great persecution of the church starts under Emperor Nero. Now, in a sense, this book is our holy history inheritance. This is our family tree, if you would. Uh, the start of the church, it's, it's our roots. Uh, and because of what God did in this book, we are here today. Because of the faithfulness of the disciples of Jesus Christ to take the words of Christ seriously, to go into the world and make disciples, that is why I stand in front of you today here on a rock in the middle of the Atlantic because the church has, through the ages, taken the words of Jesus Christ seriously to make disciples, not just here, but all over the world. And that's why we, uh, many of you are from different countries than, than I am. We've got people from uh, many different nations that attend our church. That's why we're all here together bound by this uh, unity through Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters through the blood of Jesus Christ because of what God does in the book of Acts. This is the start of uh, the gospel going throughout the world. In another sense, it's kind of a key book in the New Testament. Now, I would like for you to imagine... If we had a New Testament that had the Gospels in it, and then uh, we would skip right over to the letters to the churches, right? All of a sudden, you would be reading Romans, Corinthians, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, and, uh, and you would be 
you would have no idea what's going on. You would basically be met with some guy named Paul. You had no idea who he is or why you should really be listening to what he has to say. And he, he, he ends up not just writing a couple of letters, he, he writes two-thirds of the books in the New Testament. And the whole time you're left with this question, who is this Paul guy and why should I listen to him? And then you all of a sudden see the message of Jesus is no longer just you know, isolated to a particular place near, uh, in Israel or near Jerusalem, but rather you, you see these letters written to cities in the Roman Empire, like Ephesus and Philippi, uh, Philippi or Colossae or Galatia, and even Rome itself, and you're wondering, okay, I was reading about Jesus' life in Jerusalem and in Israel. What happened there in the middle? Why is it all over the Roman Empire now? Imagine the dark hole that would be left if uh, we didn't have the book of Acts to, to tie us to and show us this, how the story of God unfolds as Jesus as ascends into heaven. Because in Matthew 28, we're met with Jesus. Um, we were met with Jesus. He is um, giving the great commission to the disciples. He's saying, Go into the, the whole world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've taught you or commanded you. Um, and in the book of Acts, when we turn to it, we see how the disciples responded to that mission. And how did they respond? They did as he said. They made disciples. That is, that is the goal of the church. And you see how they make disciples. They started churches. So the church is a way for us, not just to gather on a Sunday, but it is God's means to the end of making disciples, to the end of glorifying God through his grace and mercy on us. And so in this book, we have the start of the church, and we as a church, that is, that is the family that we're connected with going back uh, 2,000 years. And we get to see the questions they had, we get to see the messiness, the disputes that they had, what went wrong, what went right. And I want us to praise God as we go through this book for what he has done through normal individuals. I want us to have open hearts uh, as individuals and as a church to be rebuked by the word of God if we need to be rebuked by it. If we find ourselves out of step with what the Bible wants us to be, we want to correct our step, not correct the Bible. We don't want to correct God. We want to be in line with what his word says. So if we find ourselves to be out of step with uh, the word of God, we want to be corrected and have open hearts to be rebuked in that way. Um, and I want us to be encouraged by the power of God and his ability to work through his people. And I think for a lot of us, we may find ourselves in the position where we try to put them on a pedestal, think that they're somehow superhumans, they had no mistakes, they didn't have our past, our mistakes, uh, they didn't have our quirks, and God could use those impressive people. But the reality is, when we read the book of Acts, God is using normal people for his glory. And so... I want us to be jumping into the book of Acts. I want to read the first two verses, verse one and two. The, the opening on this is not wide enough, so I feel like it'd take forever to drink. Here is Acts 1, 1 through 2. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I want us to stop right there. In these first two verses, we have a lot of awesome details. One of the most interesting questions to me is, okay, who wrote this book? Why did he write it? And who did he write it to? Um, and we have Luke, who's the writer of this book. He's mentioning, as he does in the Gospel of Luke, in the beginning, this Theophilus character. And there's been a lot of speculation as to who this guy is. Who is this Theophilus? Is he a friend of Luke's? Maybe he is a skeptic asking for evidence for the faith because we know the Gospel of Luke starts out with basically him saying, I was a journalist. I went around and I asked the people who knew Jesus what had happened. And they all came up with the same narrative, the same story, and here is what the story is. So maybe 
he was a skeptic. Others have said maybe he was a court official uh, for Rome. Basically, that Luke and his gospel and the act and the book of Acts was trying to convey to Roman officials that uh, Christianity was not dangerous, it was not political, it was not illegal. And so there's been a, you know, a lot of theories around that. Maybe Luke was writing to a Roman official named Theophilus to try to convince him that this is not a dangerous religion. And yet others that think, you know, this Theophilus character was probably Luke's patron funding his work to go and, and write uh, about the events around Jesus uh, and, and his life and his ministry and also through the apostles. But here's, here's where I fall on this. The interesting thing is the name Theophilus, when broken down into the words that it's made out of, two different words, and you may, you may know these words. It's from Greek, theos, right? That's God. Atheist, for instance, is made from that word. And then phileo, uh, which you may know from words like philosophy. It means phileo is love. Philosophy would be love of wisdom. So Theophilus, would be lover of God. So it may very well be that Luke here in the beginning of Acts is not just writing to an individual named Theophilus, although that could be the case. There are definitely people with that name in that day. But rather, maybe he is saying, this is to all lovers of God who read this book. And it's not really a key detail, but man, I love that. But he goes on to say, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I love the implications here because Luke is saying that his previous book, the Gospel of Luke, was about Jesus' earthly ministry, but even though he would ascend into heaven and they would no longer see, see Jesus with their eyes, his work continues. Whatever Jesus began to do and to teach. He continues in the book of Acts to work, and in a real sense, we are here today still in another unfolding chapter in the story of God on earth as the Holy Spirit acts in and through his people even today. And what did he write about Jesus? What he did, number one, and what he taught. Jesus didn't come just with amazing works to impress people and said no words, and neither did he come with a lot of words but no, no, nothing to back it up. He came with, this, with these things coupled together. He did things and he taught things. And uh, when, I, when I read that and I see where he emphasizes whatever he began to do, do and to teach, I think about this uh, really famous saying that is very popular in the church today. There have been so many people ascribed to, to originally saying this that I'm not even going to pretend to know who originally said this. But this piffy saying, it, it sounds really good. It's, it goes like this. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Now, I don't know if you've heard this before. I've heard it a lot of different times in different contexts. Preach the gospel Use words if necessary. And the idea is this, let your actions speak for you and only open your mouth if it's absolutely necessary. As much as I like the framing of the sentence, it sounds really nice, I don't think it reflects uh, the ministry of Jesus accurately. And ultimately, we as Christians, as Christ followers, we want to mimic Christ, we want to reflect his ministry, and if we are to be imitators of Jesus... I think we ought to reflect his ministry that didn't just teach things without doing things, and it didn't just, he didn't just do things without teaching things, he did both. It's like two wings on an airplane. If you want to fly that airplane, it needs both of those wings. Um, for some, it'll be much easier to be willing to read and to study up and to be standing in front of people like I am here today dispensing information. Uh, and for others, it'll be much easier for you to neglect the study of God's word um, and speaking and teaching for the sake of doing things and showing love that way. But we need those two wings on that airplane. We need to reflect the ministry of Jesus who came, yes, absolutely teaching some amazing truths, showing us who God is and what he's here to do, but also uh, doing things and saying things. So then Luke says these amazing words. 
kind of shocking. After he, that is Jesus, had given commands through the Holy Spirit. It says here that Jesus was operating his ministry through the Holy Spirit. Giving commands through the Holy Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit. Now there are denominations, the number one on one side on the issue, they love to talk about the Holy Spirit. Their focus is absolutely on the Holy Spirit. And then there are others who view them as maybe like the crazy uncle in the family parties who always comes and ruin things and they would kind of just want to ignore the Holy Spirit. Um, but here it's, it's clearly said that Jesus, he was given commands through the Holy Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit. Now just remember who Jesus is for a moment. This is God himself in flesh. This is the God-man who had the power over the wind and the waves. He raised dead people back to life. He healed the sick. He fed the 5,000 with almost no food. He walked on water, yet we see a glimpse into his reliance on the Holy Spirit in his ministry. And when I stop and think about that and I ask myself, am I really going to be that arrogant to think that here in the 21st century church, we think we can do ministry without the Holy Spirit. There's a question that's stuck in my mind for years now. Someone asked me, if God were to remove the power of the Holy Spirit at work in all the churches today, do you think we would see a difference in how we operate? Would we blindly carry on would we try to manipulate life change? Would we try to man manipulate emotions? Maybe if we see that the Holy Spirit is not transforming lives through the preacher anymore, would we seek to get a better communicator to replace the lack of the Holy Spirit acting in our churches? Would we shift our focus on maybe good programs and cool events or would the church get on its knees and plead with God and cry out for God's Holy Spirit to work in us and through us again. If the Son of God, God in flesh, relied on the Holy Spirit, how much do we need that? And the arrogant fools we have to be to expect life to go on as normal and our ministries to be successful without the Holy Spirit working in us and through us and doing his work in other people and other hearts. Now, I remember this one time before I went into ministry, um, I was working as a cameraman. We were about to go to Greenland and to film a, a hunting TV show. Uh, it was awesome. There's a lot of flies there. But I, I remember it was the day that I was going to go to the airport and we were going to fly over to Greenland to nuke. <clears throat> and um, I remember I got to the airport, the international airport here in Keplavik. Uh, and as I got there, I realized I had all my equipment. Only one thing missing was the passport. I didn't have my passport. So I drove back to town um, and just as I was driving back to the airport again, uh, the guy called me, he says, where are you? I said, I'm driving to Kepler right now. It's like, no, we're going through the Reykjavik airport. So I drive back around. And anyways, all that to say, I remember thinking in that moment, man, I had all the, the equipment ready to go. I had the cameras ready. I, I had the memory cards ready to record all the, the stuff that we needed for the show. I had the batteries charged up. Man, we were ready to go. Um, but here I am messing up on key details that if this is wrong, if I, if I forget my passport and I go to the wrong airport, it doesn't care what else I did to prepare for this trip. It doesn't really matter that I, that I packed the camera really well. It doesn't really matter that all the batteries are charged up. If this is missing, all of this is pointless. Now, it seems to me as we read this text that the key issues is, man, we need the Holy Spirit to work in our churches today. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to do life change and not manipulate emotions. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us, 
to speak through us, to use us as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It is not a sort of thing that we just have the option. Do you want to you know, become a Christian or this super Christian who, who gets the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit if we are to see the kingdom of God grow on earth. Now, we go into Acts 1, 3 to 5, and he says here, he presented himself, this Jesus, to them, the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, we see the Holy Spirit pop up there. For the disciples of Jesus, this faith they found themselves in was no blind faith at all. We see there Jesus who had been murdered before their eyes, presented many proofs to them to assure them that he was indeed alive and that he wasn't some kind of disembodied spirit. This was, he was alive again. He had defeated death. And what I love about that is it says he walked among them for 40 days. You read elsewhere in the New Testament, like 2 Corinthians, this is chapter 4, I think, when Paul the apostle is saying he met 500 people at one time and spoke to them. Like everyone saw him. It wasn't a mass delusion. That never happens. You don't have 500 people, you know, having illusions of the same, th- or, or, yeah, of the same thing. And so I, I like that 40 days there. Because you look elsewhere in the scriptures and you see this 40 days pop up pretty regularly. For instance, one example is Moses going up to Mount Sinai to, uh, to commune with God for 40 days while Israel waits at the foot of the mountain. He had nothing but his communion with God. And just like Jesus and his relationship with God for 40 days before starting his ministry, he goes into the desert for 40 days with nothing but his relationship with God before going out on his mission. And then here you have the disciples who would have 40 days here with the risen Lord and Savior and teacher before they would be called to their extraordinary work. This is interesting. Maybe Luke is trying to show us that the story of the Bible, it's one story. You see how it connects through multiple ways. You see how it references uh, back and, and also prophesies forward into the New Testament about what's happening. This is one unfolding story of God working on earth. And even though right now we're not living scripture, we are a part of the unfolding story of God in the 21st century. He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Just like any other kingdom, this kingdom of God would have citizens that would be subject to their king and they were to be fishers of men to preach Jesus Christ and to have people become subject of this amazing king. Now, I wonder if the parable of the kingdom of God is sticking in their mind as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God here yeah, they look around, they see 11 other, you know, or you're one of the disciples, you see 10 other guys around you and you're maybe thinking about the parable where he talks about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed that is tiny, but it goes into the ground and then it sprouts up and it becomes a giant you know, plant and it starts to spread and take over. Maybe they're looking around at these you know, 10 of their brothers thinking, is God really gonna do something with us? He's going to use me for this. He's going to use us. We're all like, none of us are, have any special education. We're, you know, there's nothing special about us. We've, we've messed up multiple times. This is right after you know, Peter has denied him three times at the crucifixion. They, they know they're messed up and maybe they're looking around and saying, is this really what he had in mind? This is the mustard seed. These 11 guys go out into the world to make disciples. The surprising thing is that they're tasked with is to go, like he puts this, you know, task in front of them. They know what the task is, to go and make disciples. But the first step of that task is to go into Jerusalem and wait. (laughs) Just wait. Not very productive. 
not very efficient. Doesn't tell him to go all over the world right then and there to go to Jerusalem and just wait for God to do something amazing. John the Baptist, baptized with water, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Greek word that's used here for baptized is baptizo. Um, it uh, means to be you know, covered with or drenched in. So Jesus had relied on the Holy Spirit. They were to reflect his ministry by reliance on the work of God in and through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only ministry that leaves an eternal impact, the only ministry that is truly effective, that is truly successful, is driven by the Holy Spirit because he is the one who changes hearts. Hearts. He is the one who convinces of, of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is the one who truly changes our lives. And then Jesus here is calling them to wait. And waiting means it's, it's worth waiting for. Waiting means that they had a promise and it would come because the promise giver is reliable. Waiting means they must receive this and they can't do this by themselves. They can't conjure up you know, their own ability to do this mission. They have to receive it. You can't manipulate this. You have to wait. Wait means that it would be a test. In a restless world, in a busy world, waiting is sometimes the biggest challenge that we face. But too often, it is true that there, is a, there, are, there are weak churches because there's a lack of dependence on God to work. Too often, there are weak churches because prayer is neglected and the Holy Spirit is not relied upon but pushed aside because we want to have our neat ministries. Now, if the glorified, resurrected Jesus needed and relied on the Holy Spirit, so should we. And what arrogant fools we would be if we thought otherwise. If we truly place our faith in Jesus Christ as this God-man, God in flesh, and he is relying on the Holy Spirit, who am I to think that I need something else? Which shows us what the Holy Spirit does operating through the church. We see that in the book of Acts. But there's more to come because although there are churches that speak much of the whole, uh, that, that speak much of the Holy Spirit, they neglect to see him for, for all that he is. And Luke here is about to fill in the picture for us to, as to who the Holy Spirit is and what he does for us. And so we jump into the next verses in 6 through 8 where it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the disciples, they, they still have in mind a pure, pure, purely earthly kind of kingdom, not realizing that the, the kingdom of God is already among them in Jesus Christ. But in the end, of course, in the end of history, the kingdom of God will come down. It will be a physical reality. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where we spend eternity. We're not disembodied spirits, spirits somewhere in the clouds. Um, but what does Jesus say? He says to them, you know, thinking this is in the end going to be a physical reality. He says, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about the stuff that isn't yours to know. Worry about something else. And then he goes on to give them what they should focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is what you should focus on. To receive the Holy Spirit. And what will be the result of receiving the Holy Spirit? What is the end result of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, coming upon you? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This right here is not an exhaustive list of all that the Holy Spirit does. The Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our teacher, our equipper. He is the one who transforms our lives. But he comforts us and he teaches us 
and he sanctifies us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. He equips us for the task that's laid before us. And so as I was saying before, you can have major errors in your thinking if you think you're going to be substituting the Holy Spirit with good music or excellent programming or a good communicator because only the Holy Spirit can transform lives and nations in the world. But on the other side, you've got churches who talk about the Holy Spirit a lot but still don't see him for all that he is. Like you have whole groups of Christians that think of the Holy Spirit like almost a force, like almost a Star Wars force, you know, may the force be with you. But he's, he's more than a force. He is a person in the Trinity. And he's more than just something that you command, that you manipulate, that you use for your own good. Actually, he is using me. He is using us. We are his tools in his hands. Now, you got whole denominations that think the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to spice up worship services for people to fall down, shaking on the ground, lots of yelling and screaming, and you get goosebumps. That, that's how a lot of people, and I'm not, you know, I'm not mocking you if that's where you stand, but that's how a lot of people think that this is all that the Holy Spirit does. He spices up our worship services. He works in us as we sing together on Sundays. Absolutely. He works in us. He ministers to us in our need. Absolutely. He helps us when we're in need. Absolutely. But he also works in us not only on our Sunday gatherings. He works in us as we read our Bibles on a Monday or as we pray on a Tuesday. He works within you, giving you wisdom to to give advice or talk to your children on a Wednesday and loving your wife on a Thursday. He is at work within us all day, every day, every day of the week. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work within you, changing you to reflect Jesus Christ better. The result of receiving the Holy Spirit is that we have now eternal hope. And until heaven gets here, he is equipping you and me to be more like Jesus, to love Jesus and to teach what Jesus taught to others and not only teach them verbally by dispensing information, what does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So we need to be teachers not only with our words but also with our lives by doing, reflecting Jesus in his ministry. And then look at this, you know, concentric circles that is going on here. He starts with Jerusalem, so they start in, in their city, and then he talks about Judea, which includes Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but it's also a wider scope. Then he talks about Samaria. Now, if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, one of the reasons why that's shocking is because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They looked down on them. They, they saw them as less than, less than they were in value. Um, so he's telling them, go to Jerusalem, Go to Judea, go to Samaria, Samaria, and then go to the end of the earth. They're looking around. See 10 other guys? <laughs> like, really, Jesus? We are going to take this to the end of the earth. And so as we not only thank God for the people who came before us, these guys who maybe didn't see how this was going to happen, but they took the steps of faith to get there. And that's why we stand here today. That's why we gather together in our homes today with our families, uh, have an eternal hope in the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done because of the work of God in and through their lives. But maybe we ought to consider what our concentric circles look like as well. Where are we called to be witnesses? Now, are we called to... You know, what, what is our Jerusalem? Is it, is it your town? Is it your street? Is it your apartment building? How can you do what Jesus did there and to teach what Jesus taught there? I know it's a struggle. I know it is, man, it's weird trying to, trying to connect with some Icelanders. Just the culture here is very strange when it comes to this, making friends from strangers. Um, 
but how can I be a witness to my neighbors? What is our Judea? Maybe our neighborhood, maybe our town. What is our Samaria? Maybe it's, you know, the capital area or, or Iceland as a whole. I think too often when we think about evangelism, as we think about the spreading of the good news, we think that's happening somewhere out there. We always go straight, not to Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. We go straight to the ends of the earth. That's where we need to go and tell people about Jesus. But the reality is the people around us need to know Jesus. Because evangelism doesn't just happen at the ends of the earth but we have to realize we're called to be witnesses right here and right now as soon as we've been blessed with the Holy Spirit. We need to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and equip us for the work of the ministry that lies ahead. Because without him, we're without hope. We can't do this. We can't reach our neighbors. They won't understand the value of Jesus Christ if the Holy Spirit is not at work. And as I read this text this week, it's just been convicting me, how can I spend more time just pleading with God for my country, for my friends, for my family to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and to become my family of faith, to be my brothers and sisters there. Man, what a day it would be forgot to celebrate a family member turning to Christ, a friend turning to Christ. Or if we would see multiple Icelanders turning to Christ. Man, before that to happen, and that's what we see in the book of Acts, the book of Acts would not happen unless the Holy Spirit was doing the work. Because if you look at the equation, it mathematically doesn't make sense. You've got 11 guys going to make disciples and they have the Pharisees against them, the religious leaders, Sanhedrin. They have uh, the Sadducees against them, other religious leaders. They have the Romans against them with their political power and military power. They've got no money. This equation doesn't make sense. There's no way someone among the disciples just made a plan, made a program, made, you know, it's told everyone, stick with this. We're going to get this to the end of the world. The only way for this to happen, especially in light of the fact that they were, you know, these disciples, they were, they were hated by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Later on, Emperor Nero in about 64 AD, right when this book ends, is trying to, well, he is killing Christians, even including some of his own family members, because he despises the religion so much. So this equation of like, they put together a plan and executed it excellently, excellently doesn't make sense. The only reason we have the book of Acts in front of us, and as we study it, it's because of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And I wonder sometime, do we have that desperation as churches? And I'm thankful for people writing books about church planting and, and evangelism and, and how to do ministry and so on and so forth. But I, I wonder sometime, am I relying on a program my execution of an idea that I have or am I relying on the Holy Spirit? And man, wherever we are, if we can say fully, assuredly, man, we rely on the Holy Spirit, I think there's always a point where we can rely more, where we can deny ourselves more. And I want us as a church, I want you as an individual watching this or maybe you're a family watching this, I want us to be fully reliant on the Holy Spirit and realize if we're gonna pray for God to do something amazing in Iceland, we have to be reliant upon God to do it. Not some amazing communicator, not some amazing leader, not an amazing program or amazing music. God needs to do it. Because no matter what is up against us, he is greater. That's what we see through the book of Acts. Normal people doing extraordinary things, not because of their greatness, but rather because of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. And I hope we get the sense of urgency when we read through the book of Acts and see the amazing power of God on display. And this is not just a job for the professionals. Remember who we've got here. We've got tax collectors and fishermen and other, you know, th there's no, 
there's no theological degree here. There's no doctorates in theology here or masters of divinity or anything like that. These are not professionals. They are fishermen and tax, tax collectors who decided to join God on his mission. So do not excuse yourself with saying, well, there's got to be someone out there more qualified. Because the reality is there's no one more qualified than the Holy Spirit. And he qualifies the call. If he's called you, he will qualify you for that calling. And man, he will give you the gifts that you need. You know, it's amazing when he uses normal people to do extraordinary things. I don't get the credit. You don't get the credit. Only God gets the credit. Only God gets to be honored as he's worthy of all honor. And then lastly, we come to this end of the, of, of the verses we have today. Acts 1, 9 through 11 says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Man, I wonder what this looks like. Man, it's got to be an amazing thing to see. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now there, in the end, they tell us of our eternal hope. This is not the end of God's story on earth. It's just the beginning. Jesus will come back and his kingdom will be here on earth as a physical reality. So we won't spend eternity as disembodied spirits on clouds somewhere. But this question of the angels standing by the disciples, it echoes in my mind. It's actually echoed in my mind for a few years now. So stare up to heaven as Jesus ascends. They don't see him anymore, I imagine. I imagine them sort of staring there, just up there for a few moments, kind of being in awe, just wondering what just happened, what's going on, and all of a sudden, you got two angels standing next to them saying, men of Galilee. <laughs> and they kind of like, whoop, wake up to it, look at them. And they're saying, why are you here standing looking into heaven? As if to say, wasn't it clear <laughs> what he called you to do? Go back to Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Why, why do you stand here? A lot of things can, I think, capture our attention like this. And I wonder if an angel is asking himself the same question of, of me sometimes. Why is Gunnar just standing there? <laughs> why, is, why is he just sitting there enjoying himself? Doesn't he realize the work that is ahead for him? Doesn't he realize what, what God could use him to do and to be? Doesn't he know what he's called to do? And I wonder sometimes how this question might affect all of us. Don't we realize the importance of the mission that we have in front of us? You know, even good things can capture our attention. I, I for one, like reading books on theology and lectures on theology, but I wonder sometimes if I am so captivate, captivated by the latest book that I read or the lecture that I listen to that I don't go out and actually put it into practice and do enough. What good does it do if I can finally nail down, you know, where I stand on my end time views of the Bible, meanwhile, souls around me perish and go to hell for eternity? Is it really God's will to, for the church to be bickering over unclear biblical issues instead of going out to be fishers of men? And maybe... What we ought to do is unclear at times, but even then, maybe we're just called to wait until we see what we're called to go after, to wait on God, to spend time on our knees with tear-soaked cheeks, pleading with God to use us to reach people and to glorify himself, to wait for the Holy Spirit to guide us, to fill us, to drench us, to, to equip us. 
Are we missing out on the extraordinary, extraordinary story of God unfolding here and now because we are too distracted or because we're too anxious? Too busy dealing with fleeting things that have no eternal impact. My prayer is that we would join the unfolding story of God here in Iceland and around the world. May we not just say, you know, they were witnesses. May we not just say these people were amazing witnesses, but rather we are witnesses. That we would be linked to our holy history and heritage. Ministry must be spirit-filled ministry to have an impact. To do ministry without the spirit is to forget the most important thing to allow for it to happen to bear fruit. Right? And I, I think about the sentence from Abraham Lincoln when he was asked, uh, no, no, he wasn't asked actually, it was a part of the quote. He said, um, you know, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will s- spend the first four sharpening the axe meaning I'm not just going to go out and waste energy pounding at the tree, waiting for it to go down. It's going to be much better for me and easier if I spend the first four hours sharpening the axe so that each blow is more effective. And I wonder sometime if the church has moved ahead of God trying to do things, you know, maybe in the name of productivity or not wasting time that we were unwilling to wait for God to empower us for the mission, Well, we just went ahead and did it, but we were not effective because we didn't sharpen the ax. We didn't spend our time in waiting and pleading with God to, to drench us in his Holy Spirit so that we would be equipped and strengthened for the work ahead. So I pray that might be the reality for all of us as each member, like each person you encounter that you would be a witness to them about the amazing work of God that we would be witnesses not just saying they were witnesses and so I want to just pray for us that we would be used as witnesses of Christ carrying out the good news witnessing about what witnessing Jesus he is our savior telling people you are sinners in need of a savior. We need to be witnesses of what he has done. We need to be witnesses of the word of God, pointing people to what God has said. We can be witnesses about uh, the value of God by laying down our lives to sacrifice everything, being willing to lay down our lives and sacrificing everything for the sake of God because he is worth it. Witnesses about what he has done in and through his people. Man, we've Every single one of us, if you are a Christ follower, you've got a testimony. What does it look like for you to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus? Man, what has God done in your life to be witnesses of the overwhelming worth of Jesus Christ? For us to be effective witnesses, we need to be guided by the Holy Spirit, pointing to Christ. It's one of the things that Elliot did an amazing thing last week talking about, and part of being witnesses is to witness and, and tell people about repentance. What does it look like to actually follow Christ? Even the term Christian has become so ambiguous. You got different people arguing about what it actually means, you know. But the word follower of Christ is actually kind of clears things up. And I, I don't just want to listen to what he has to say. I want to follow him in his steps. So let us pray. Our Father, help us be witnesses. Remind us of our need for a Savior. Remind us of our need as sinners who fail our own standard. And more importantly, we fail your standard. God, help us be witnesses of your grace of your son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for us. God in flesh to die for me. When you didn't have to, you sent your son to die for us. What an amazing news this is that we get to carry out to people who may find themselves in a situation where they know that they are, they are not 
uh, as perfect as they would like to be, where they may be faced with their own failures, with their own sins, but have no hope in putting them anywhere. They can't make up for the things they've done wrong. God, may we be equipped as your witnesses to go out and tell people, actually, Christ has died for our sins. May we live for your glory. May we not waste our lives. May we not try to somehow do the work of the ministry without the Holy Spirit guiding us, equipping us, strengthening us so that you would be glorified above everyone and everything else. God, may we be equipped to be witnesses where we are right now, today, in our homes, street, apartment buildings, our nation, as we go around the world, as people go out from us to around the world, may we partake in this unfolding story of being witnesses about Jesus Christ and what he has done. That in fact, we as sinners have hope because we can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can stand before God Without, with, with, without fear because we can point to Jesus Christ who paid our debt. Equip us to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we close out, I want us to be praying for a few things. Let me just pray for the prayer requests that, that have come in. Thank you, Elliot, for gathering them up. Oh, hi, Ken Prater. It's good to hear from you, Town Baptist Church. Miss you guys. Um, prayer requests. Um, Garrett, Roy, mine would just be kind of simple. I have two veneers on my two front teeth that were just replaced three years ago. My uh, front left one has been bothering me with a feeling of pressure the last couple of days. Not when I'm eating, though. Just feeling a pressure. The last time I had something similar, it involved pain, and the tooth ended up getting pulled. I don't expect that we were anywhere near that, but my brain ends up with me thinking it's going there and hope that's just some sort of temporary inf inflammation. Actually, I've got a similar prayer request. I just, I've had a broken tooth back here for about... Yeah, five, six years. Um, I've never, only, only time I got it fixed was when severe pain kicked in. Uh, probably have to get mine pulled because I think I just broke it more. So if you would pray for that as well. So we'll be praying for you, uh, Garrett. Sarah, I'm sick with a combination of the flu-like symptom and allergies, all of which is tough on the body. So just pray for the healing so I can do my job well and can continue to taking care of others. Elliot and Hilter, please be praying for Hilter's doctor's appointment on Wednesday and please pray for our wedding on the 5th. Pray that God would be glorified and honored in our union. Evelyn, just that I may be trusting in the Lord's goodness today and all week. And then Exodus, our university ministry, pray for college students as they wrap up their uh, semester. Pray that we as God's people would love them well and point them to Christ. So let's pray. God, I pray that you, uh, that you meet Garrett where he's at with his uh, tooth problems. Man, I, I understand how expensive it can be, how, how painful it can be at times. God, I just pray that you would heal him and, and just hopefully heal him in a supernatural way so that this wouldn't even be a problem. God, may we see you at work in his life and may you um, guide them on. May you meet him where he's at. May you help him also just be equipped to love on his family well, to do his job well. Um, so God, I pray that you meet Garrett where he's at. Um, God, I pray for Sarah uh, who is sick. I pray that you would help her. I thank you so much for her willingness to serve, her, her um, job involving a lot of risks around this time. And God, I, I thank you for her willingness to, to serve others and be an amazing nurse. I pray that you would help her get over her sickness quickly so that she could go back to work and, and be with her patients again. And I pray that you use her as salt and light in that environment. And for Hildur and Elliot, God, I pray for this doctor's appointment coming up on Wednesday um, that 
May we as a church celebrate that this brain tumor that's been lingering around for years may be done with, may be over, so that uh, we would worship you as a church and the results coming in on Wednesday and then her wedding coming up and Elliot's wedding. God, I pray that you would both uh, allow them to have a good wedding together, but all, uh, beyond that, that you would allow them to have a good life together and not just a wedding day together, but a whole life of marriage where they reflect your love for your church and their love for one another and their relationship with one another. So God, I pray that you bless their union and uh, give them, equip them for the work ahead. Evelyn, I pray for her that you might be... Um, that she might just be trusting in your goodness, your grace, uh, be fully relying on you for everything that she needs today and all this week and forever. This entire life of hers may she be fully reliant on you, trusting in you to stay true to your word, to to be there for her. And for Exteres, I pray for all the college students going, finishing up their semester. This has been a complicated semester, but God, I pray that you would be with them, that you would allow our church an opportunity to somehow love on the people who are, who are coming out of classes right now. And this summer, God, may we somehow be able to spend time with them and to reach them where they're at. So God, be with us as we seek to do that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, um, yes, I want us to be praying for certain things. So this I'm going to throw out uh, a subject. I, I, man, first of all, I want to just thank God for for the cases uh, this week that, that it's gone so low. There, there's been so few people that have been getting infected. So I want to praise God for that. So uh, let's just praise God together for that. But I also want to pray for, pray for those who are sick. I think we've got about five people in the country in an ICU um, right now and about 15 people at the hospital. So I want to pray for people that are sick from this virus and the sick in general, that God would meet them where they're at and minister to them and expose them to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's take 30 seconds and pray uh, for them. All right, I want us to take just 45 seconds, 30 seconds, something like that to pray for those who are in authority over our country, for the leaders to be God-glorifying, uh, to be led by God, and to for God to show mercy and grace upon our country as there's, well, there's the pandemic, but there's the economic implications, and I think there's just a lot of things happening that need that needs godly wisdom right now and God to be glorified and guide us through that. So let's pray for the leaders of our country, for the essential workers, and for... Uh, for all those working hard right now and their families, their children, I think we often forget that, that, man, what an effect that would have on a family if you got one, one of the parents working, you know, 10 to 15 hour days or something like that. So let's pray for the leaders of this country and those essential workers to God to protect them and give them wisdom. Um, now, if you would, throughout the week, be praying for these prayer requests. Be praying for members of this church. Uh, you saw the prayer requests that are in the comments for this video if you want to remember them again throughout this week. If you would, also, there's some changes in our life recently or possible changes. So if you would pray for wisdom for us as well. Um, but it has been a joy and an honor to be with you and be able to do this even though it's not the same but man thank god for this technology that we have as we've said so often um there's only i would like to mention one thing before we leave the members meeting as literally in an hour and 20 minutes so if you're a member of the church there's a members meeting in an hour and 20 minutes guys Go into this week and remember that we are to reflect Jesus Christ. May God open doors. May God, may God guide us because we realize that, yes, this Sunday service or this whatever this is may be over with, but our worship continues on. We are uh, living worshipers day in and day out. We are living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So let us be that as we go into this week. God, would you use us in that way? Open up doors for us. May God bless you and keep you and uh, cause his face to shine upon you. God bless. Peace out. Um, see you again. See you on Wednesday. And members, see you in an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs>